Welcome to Influencer Business, where influencers get help with the hard stuff. Think of us as your business Bible. We're a team of influencers and entrepreneurs dedicated to bringing professional resources and infrastructure to our community. I'm Rich Scudelari, CEO of Trove. I'm an entrepreneur focused on helping influencers run and grow their businesses with the resources and information they need. I host this podcast as well as a live webinar called Office Hours, which takes place every Wednesday. Here, I dig deeper into each weekly topic and answer all of your most pressing questions. Our weekly podcast features guests from across the professional landscape, sharing their experiences and advice and answering questions from the Trove community, which you can submit on our website at www.trovebusiness.com. Welcome back to Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Gudlari. Excited to have you this week. We've got an awesome episode lined up for you where we talk about onboarding. You've made a hire. Now they have to get to work. But before they can get to work, you actually have to bring the person on board. And what does that mean exactly? It's, it's an incredibly important part of the hiring process and can often decide whether or not a new hire succeeds or they fail. It's overlooked for a variety of reasons, but it's really a crucial part of the process. You've invested an incredible amount of time and effort into finding the right person. You found them. Now, don't screw it up because you simply haven't introduced them to the company or their role in the appropriate way. Now, don't worry. It doesn't have to be overly complex or onerous. It doesn't have to be this crazy process. It can often be as simple as a checklist that you go through. And to help us with this topic, I sat down with Caitlin Wilterdink, the head of people at Clubhouse Software here in New York, where she is responsible not only for hiring, but also for the development of the culture at Clubhouse Software. Caitlin has over a decade of experience in the hiring realm. She's built and managed and coached really high-performing recruiting teams. She She's recruited everybody from interns to the C-level executives. She's really got deep experience and knowledge in labor and employment law, HR operations, employee relations. She is the consummate people professional, which is quite possibly the most difficult resource to manage at a company. And outside of the office, Caitlin is a certified badass. In 2019, she has two very simple goals. One, climb Mount Kilimanjaro, which is only one of the tallest mountains in the world. And two, run a marathon in three hours and 15 minutes. And if you know anything about marathons, that is absolutely booking it. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Caitlin Welterdink to Influencer Business. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Looking forward. So let's start at a high level. What is the purpose of the onboarding process? You know, is it just telling somebody what they're going to do on the job or is there more to it than that? Uh, I mean, that's the basic definition. Like, I think, you know, someone's hired and they left their job and they're kind of in this space where they just need to relearn everything. Um, but I think there's also the, the soft stuff, right? Like each company has norms and values and those are going to be different, most likely than the company someone was at before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like to, to make sure that you're not just going through like the job description. You're also introducing them to individuals and helping them learn just how the business operates from that uh, subjective side. So not, mm-hmm. not just going over the job description. Yeah. So there's more involved because you are entering into a new culture. It's not just the same old, same old. It's not plug and play. Every team has a different vibe. Every mm-hmm. company has a different culture. You got to make sure you instill that into new people. But is it also, how much of a part of the whole hiring process is it? So the way I've always structured recruiting is that the recruiter 
who hires the person is the person who's also responsible for doing most of the pre-onboarding. And I, and I mm-hmm. count pre-onboarding really as a, a specific stage in someone's life cycle at a company. Um, Cause you know, part of the risk is someone signs an offer with your company and then has a change of heart, you know, in the two weeks where they're going through just closing down stuff in their other role. And, and so you can have people who decide not to join your company, even though they've signed an offer. Um, and pre-onboarding, I think, is a good way just to make sure that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And what what is involved in pre-onboarding? Oh, gosh, it can be anything from uh, one company that I worked for would send an electronic offer letter, but then you'd also get this packet in the mail with a book and a form letter from the CEO, but he actually signed it in ink. Um, which I thought was just a really nice touch. Uh, mm-hmm. Clubhouse, when I joined, um, everyone sent me emails. Uh, actually, no, I take that back. When I got my offer, everyone sent me emails, all of the folks mm. who I interviewed with, um, which I thought was great. So it's almost like, a, hey, you get the offer. Everybody from the team reaches out and says, we really want you, makes you feel welcome into the environment and, and almost another way of selling the company. Yeah. And it, you know, you've spent maybe 30 minutes with these folks or hopefully longer um, if it's your boss, but just having like that personal connection, I think is super helpful. Something that we did at Greenhouse, which I really liked was we had an onboarding uh, buddy system. Um, So the purpose was to give individuals um, access to folks that wouldn't necessarily be on their teams. Every single time someone joined, um, if let's say it was an engineer, we had someone from the customer support team reach out as that buddy and getting an mm-hmm. email, I think from someone that's not on your direct team was also a nice touch. Um, might do that at clubhouse. We're still pretty small, but that was something we did at greenhouse, which I liked. How can you do this pre onboarding process if you're an influencer and it's you and maybe an assistant, maybe a part-time contractor who works on a few things for you. How can you implement some of these things that the larger companies have that are really effective when it's, it's a really small team. Yeah, I think the benefit there is, I almost think that that's like less corporate, more human. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think for a small business, if you're only hiring one to two people this year, and they're going to be doing the majority of your work, I actually would argue that you should take longer to to interview the person than I would at a bigger company. Mm -hmm. Um, And so hopefully you've had some really structured conversations with these individuals that you're bringing on the team. And when you do reach out to them, you can be much more personal mm-hmm. than you would with someone who's joining a team of like 25, right? So yeah. I think just adding that personal touch. Um, I'm not a big fan of asking people to do work before they join the company, uh, <laughs> but maybe just reiterating, you know, hey, like in your the interview, I thought this was great. And when we join, like these are a couple of things that I'm thinking about having you work on. So mm-hmm. maybe even plan or map out that person's 30, 60, 90 days and send them something that says, Hey, like you're starting in two weeks. You don't have to work yet. Cause we're not paying you, right. but these are a couple of things um, just to get kind of the, the gears going. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I think if you have the opportunity to do that, and, and especially if you've spent more time with this person, um, it's just a nice, nice touch mm-hmm. and gets them kind of really amped up to join. Yeah. And it makes it feel like you said, very personal and they have a a ramp up period. They don't feel like they're coming in cold. They have an idea of some of the things that they might be working on and and, and a grasp on how they fit into the broader scope of whatever it is you're trying to build. I think that's a phenomenal point. 
How important is the onboarding process, whether it's it, it, both including the pre-onboarding and then the actual onboarding once they start? How important is that for a new employee? I think it's very important. I think there, there's a couple things, right? So, I mean, someone needs to have, I guess it's, if you think about Maslow's hier- hierarchy of needs, right? Like it's a very simple way to, or I guess not a simple way, it's sort of a dumb analogy, um, but I like it because, you know, it, it helps you double check that you're hitting all the things that somebody might care about. So one, like their physical workspace, do they have a computer? Um, mm-hmm. Do they have their email address? Do they have all of this software they're going to need to be successful? Um, do they understand their relationships in the business? Do they understand the clients? Um, mm-hmm. And how are you going to tie their day-to-day work? to the larger goals of, of the business and what you're trying to do. Um, I think hitting all of those points is just really important. So it's not just making sure someone has their computer and, and you'd be surprised. Like I've gone to some businesses where I haven't had my email set up. Um, wow. And yeah. yeah. And it's, it's like, all right, I, I get it. You know, it's in my, in my, in my world, usually when I'm going into a business, they don't have onboarding and that's something right. I need to build. So yeah. fair, fair enough. But I also understand, you know, from a personal perspective, just how like disorienting that, that could be. Yeah. Yeah. That's a better way to put it. Disorienting. Yeah. So, you feel lost. You, you're supposed to come in feel like, okay, great. Now I can start. When in reality, sometimes if you don't have this onboarding process, you have to get yourself set up in an environment that is completely foreign to you. Yeah. And is this is this more or less important when you have a smaller company? You know, it's obviously very important when you're at a 300-person, 400-person company, but when it's one, two, three people, is it more or less important to have this onboarding process? I think you need to make the decision about how much time you want to put into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also have a sense of maybe the folks you're bringing on board. Um, like if you're if you're onboarding a contractor, contractors are used to going into businesses and starting and stopping work and building relationships quickly. Um, they're probably going to have their own computer. So like the amount of onboarding you'll need to do for that person is probably really small. And it, again, it, it's it's an investment. Um, right. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Because, con, you know, making the distinction between contractors and perhaps full-time or even just part-time employees, you're, you're absolutely right. Contractors, this is how they live, right? They come in, they do their work, and they leave. Whereas if you're bringing somebody on, they're now kind of a part of the team. They're not a mercenary who comes in to do specific pieces of work. They're part of the team. They're part of the family. It's probably going to be a slightly longer interview process, like you mentioned earlier, and it becomes really important to make sure that they feel comfortable in their role so that they can use it as a launching pad to do the work that you brought them on to do. Yes. So I take it that you don't like the trial by fire approach. You don't like giving someone a very brief intro and letting them loose and kind of allowing them to learn by trial and error. Um, I, I don't think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two people in the relationship, right? And I think, like, if you set someone up, or I guess trial by fire, um, you both are at risk of, I guess, that the person you hired falling victim to that. But mm-hmm. also, like, you're the manager and your expectations are probably pretty high for this person that you've hired. And if they fail to meet those because you haven't onboarded them, it's kind of like the, the snake eating its own tail. Right. Um, so I think from a, your perspective as the business owner, it really behooves you to build something like that so your person is successful. And then it's fair to the person you've hired because 
nobody nobody likes to to feel like they're sitting on their hands or twiddling their thumbs like I think it's just kind of a I'm making a face right now. It's just kind of a, not a very nice, nice way to think about work. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's absolutely right. I mean, people want to feel like they have something to do. They want to feel motivated. They want to have a to-do list that they can go down and feel comfortable in that they're doing what was laid out for them to do as opposed to guessing and checking almost. So as a small business owner, how can, what's the investment in that process like? Does it have to be a 30-step process? Can it be as simple as, hey, here's a one-page checklist that I've put together to make sure that everybody I bring on, we hit all of these main things so that they feel like they're ready to go? Yeah, I think at the very basic foundation of any good onboarding program is to tie the individual's work into the larger vision of the company. Everyone likes to, well, not everyone, but people like to understand the the widgets they're building, whether it's a a blog post or for me, um, a benefits program uh, for someone on my team, the the onboarding process they're helping me build. They'd like to understand how that will help your business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I think just having information around that is helpful. Um, and the way, the way I do that when I'm onboarding people to my team is to outline the OKRs, which I I think is something that you can do. Um, even if you're a small business, it's just have with high level OKRs. What's an OKR for, for listeners? Objectives and key results. It's a, it's a Google thing. So you can tell how long I've been in tech because a lot of businesses that I've worked with use this. Um, But essentially the idea, and I think an Excel spreadsheet is a great way to do this, is you write down the high-level objectives uh, for a given period of time. Um, So mine for 2019 is build a company that brings people joy. Um, Cool. So that's a very like lofty goal. Right. Yeah. Um, and I actually have to break that down into to smaller, uh, maybe even smaller OKRs or smaller objectives. Okay. And then have key results tied back to each of those objectives. Got it. So you start kind of high level, what do you want this person to achieve? And then break it down into smaller bite-sized pieces so that you can actually execute on them. Yes. And if the person's more senior, what I'll do is I'll give them maybe not that full like umbrella OKR, but I'll say, hey, you know, one of the things in Q1 that we've decided ties into building a company that brings people joy is to do this. Here's the objective. I want you to tell me what the key results are. So the process might even, or the the OKRs or the process itself might even change a little bit depending on the role that you're hiring for. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's meant to be a framework, not a solid, like solid gold, can, never changeable process. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really valuable because everybody comes in a slightly different situation. But if you have a very strong framework, you can mold it to fit every role and it allows you to have this process that you use over and over again. But I would imagine that you tweak it uh, pretty often as you find weaknesses, find strengths that you want to bolster. Uh, is is that the case? Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe it's not weaknesses in the person. I'm pretty harsh on myself. So I try to just make sure that any framework that I put in place is, is not messing up because of something I built. Um, but yeah, there's also sometimes a question of, you know, this person's been here for 90 days and maybe the issue wasn't my onboarding process. Maybe the issue is actually with the person. Um, so I think there's, there's, you know, two questions there is, 
the issue, the framework, or is the issue the actual individual? Mm-hmm. And how do you, and in that role, how do you evaluate? Because obviously you are so focused on finding the right people, but there is that dark side of the equation where people get let go or fired or leave. So how do you balance your responsibility in that versus maybe it not being a great fit culturally or the role specifically wasn't good for them? How do you balance those two pieces to the equation? So I, I think at the at the start, it's good to have in your mind what success looks like in your business. Um, and that's both the objective, like, did this person meet these OKRs that we've set out or the key results and actually achieve the objectives? And then there's also the subjectives. Does this person mesh well with the company and the vision? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think having that outline of what success looks like is helpful. Mm-hmm. If you have that framework in mind, you then have something that you can say, I'm talking with this person and they're 90 days in and they're not meeting any of their objectives. How does their behavior match up with the definition of success that I have? Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that that's a helpful way for me to reflect on someone's performance. Um, I think ultimately at the end of the day, if somebody's not working out, it's kinder to let them go. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think folks know when they're not performing well. Right. Um, and there's a level of, I don't want to say misery, but if you if you know yeah. you're not doing well in your job and, and you still are showing up every single day, that's going to have a really profound impact both on the person and, and the culture at your business. Definitely, um, yeah. So I like to have those conversations early, mm-hmm. um, even though they are really tough conversations to have. Absolutely, I think you're. I think that's really really great point. I, I what I really liked about it was what does success look like? Starting from that point of view, I think is really important for anybody making a new hire because if you don't set a definition, if you don't set goalposts for yourself, you won't know in 90 days if it has been success because you haven't defined it in the first place. And so setting that definition even before you start the interview process, I think is incredibly important, something that we talk a lot about in the content that we produce around hiring and firing. Because if you don't have that goalpost, you won't ever know if you're making it, you know, if you, so to speak, if you're, if you're hitting your areas of success or making the right hires and, and hitting the goals that you laid out for the company. Switching gears a little bit, are there any parts of the onboarding process that are legally mandated? Anything that you absolutely must do if you're bringing somebody on board? Yeah, I will say this with a caveat that I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> anything that you hear from Caitlin on the podcast is not meant to be legal advice. It is simply knowledge gained from years of experience. As always, we strongly encourage you to visit with an employment lawyer because the compliance differs depending on where you live. Local, yeah. state, and federal laws are all different, and it's very complicated. Yes, thank you for that. <laughs> Just <laughs> providing you with some cover here. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think, and you, you actually you made a great point there. Um, the laws differ depending on what state you live in and also differ depending on what city you li- live in. Like New York City has much different employment laws than uh, my hometown, Rochester, which is six hours away from here. Same yeah. state. But Same state, different, different rules. Yes. Yeah, we moved um, from we moved from San Francisco to New York and found a whole different set of set of rules. So, 
um, it, yeah, it's always a fun experience. <laughs> it's too, and San Francisco is also uh, a little bit nuts with some of their laws. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So, so I think it's important just to recognize that the laws are going to differ. Um, the thing, the thing that is really important is if you're bringing on folks as employees, not as contractors, you have to verify that they are legally authorized to work in the United States. Um, there's something called an I nine, uh, and it's pretty easy to forget. <laughs> Don't do yeah. that. Um, <laughs> I think that's like that's number one. And yeah, the thing the thing I always have to do is remind folks several times to bring in their ID before their first day. Yeah. Um, so that's just once you templatize that email, like just save yourself, you know, the agony of having to remind them multiple times. Just send that an email and then schedule it the day before they're, ske- they're scheduled to start. So you don't have to even remember to click. Um, yeah. <laughs> very important. It saves me a yeah. lot of time. Um, and then the other stuff, I mean, I, I think it, it's good to talk to an attorney, especially if you're bringing on contractors about the difference between a contractor and an employee. Right. Um, Cause that's an IRS thing and, and no one likes to deal with the IRS. Definitely not. No, absolutely not. I've had, uh, fortunately we haven't had to deal with any of that, but I've had a friend who's had to deal with, it's not even just the IRS, it's the city laws and it's the mm. state laws and those bureaucratic agencies have a lot of teeth and they don't have a lot of time on their hands to do anything else. So they turn all their attention to you and they won't get out yeah. of your hair. So no, it's, it's better, it's better to take care of that on the front end uh, and then have to, you know, pay tens of thousands of dollars either to a lawyer to get you out of it or in fines, one of the two. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's just pay pay for the most important stuff up front, which is you know good good employment counsel. Um, I think the thing the thing that's also not legally mandated, but I think is really important is just make sure all of your stuff is in in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, some things that I've had difficulties with in the past are you know we might have said to someone hey we'll reimburse you five thousand dollars to move from San Francisco to New York if it's not in the offer letter. And let's say that person's manager had a conversation with them and didn't tell you about it. Like, it's just hard to trace all of those steps. So I'd just be super explicit about any anything related to compensation, bonus, reimbursement, stuff like that in an actual offer letter. Um, helps save a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. and it just reduces all confusion. If there's an agreement, there's an agreement, right? And, you know, whether it's in writing or it's it's not in writing, it's still there. So why not put it in writing so you can have something to point to later on? It just saves you a lot of time and effort and and arguments and any sort of back and forth that might occur. I'm a big fan of explicit versus implicit. So whenever I can put anything in writing, um, I, I try to do that. Yeah, it's probably less of a concern at a bigger company where you have a process in place. I'd say that's incredibly important for influencers. Something that we talk about is never work with a contractor without an explicit agreement in in place on our website. We have this long article listing all the things that you need to be talking about in that contract. We also, even though technically in many places, in many cases, employment contracts aren't required by law, it's really smart to have some sort of agreement in place or at very least an offer letter that outlines all of this so that if there's ever a question that comes up, you can point to the offer letter and say, here's where we discussed it. Here's where we agreed. Here's where you signed on the dotted line. And it's just a peace of mind. It's uh, helped me more times than I can count. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So, and if you don't have them in place, get them in place because you don't want to be dealing with any of that stuff. So how much time would you say somebody should spend on onboarding? Obviously, it's going to differ depending on the role, but let's just say for argument's sake, we'll take two scenarios. One scenario is you have a contractor coming in to build your website, for instance. How much onboarding is really going to take place there? I think the question there is how much time is this person going to be spending with you? Mm -hmm. Because if it's a two day a week contractor and this person's been building websites for 20 years, you probably don't need to spend that much time with them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think someone you're hiring for a full time role, I would say, you know, you only have 24 hours in the day. Um, And you have to run your business still. And you have to run your business. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, I would spend more, more of your precious time with that person who's joining full time. Right. Because um, it's also an investment in the long term, right? So yeah. that was going to be my second example. One's a contractor, two is somebody you're bringing on full time. The contractor, like you said, they've been doing this for 20 years. Most of the onboarding is going to be, here's what I want, as opposed to here's how we do things, mm-hmm. right? I like that distinction. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. And then the 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 person that you're bringing on to to be an employee to who's investing their own time and effort into a business into a vision almost more than an existing business you're going to want to say you know not only here's how what we want and what what we're gunning for but also here's how we do things this is who we are yeah i think there's the there's the socialization piece um which i i don't think you need to spend time on with a contractor maybe maybe if that's some someone who's writing content for you um, because they want to capture like the personal brand of your business. Um, That's a great distinction. Yeah. But I think spend it with your full-time folks. All right. Let's get to the fun stuff. What are the pitfalls that you see in the onboarding process? What are, what are the most common mistakes that people should be watching out for in the onboarding process? Um, I think one of my favorites was when, (laughs) Uh, we forgot to book tickets for somebody in their first week. So um, <laughs> we, we didn't tell them that they were supposed to be in New York and they lived in San Francisco. So oh, uh, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, whoops. Uh, yeah. Don't do that. Um, I think, yeah, just tell them, tell them when to show up. Um, yeah. That gets lost in the process. Huh? People forget to say, Hey, you show up here at this time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, and I sound like I'm throwing all my previous employers under the bus, but, um, it's usually Sunday night where I'm like, Oh, I wonder what time they want me to show up tomorrow. Um, (laughs) and I'm the one that has to reach out to them. And and so, you know, I I quickly put in place, Nope, I'm going to send you an email and tell you, tell you when to show up dear new employee. Um, that's a great, that's a great call. Take, take control of the situation. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think one of the worst things for me is to have someone start on a Monday and show up at 840. Like I'm not getting to the office at 840. Like I live <laughs> in Brooklyn and I have to deal with the F train. Like I'm probably going to get in between nine and 930. So I yeah. just tell people to come in at 10. Um, uh, yeah. And people are surprised by that, but also like, it's kind of nice. They don't have to stress out on their first day. So 10 yeah. a.m. start time. See yeah. you Monday. Cool. <laughs> that's it's it's interesting it can be so un the little things matter so much in something like this when you're first integrating yourself into a culture into a new place simply knowing when where to show up how about dress code right and it's not even yeah. about what to wear versus what to not wear it's about what is everybody else wearing so you don't feel you don't show up in a tux on your first day when everybody else is dressed in jeans and a t-shirt right yeah and i i 
forget that one because I've just been in startups for so long. Um, you just assume that everybody has it figured out. Yeah, but I mean, that's actually a good call out. Like we, my current business, um, Clubhouse is remote friendly. So we do hire some people who've never been on site before. Oh, okay. And we fly them to New York because our headquarters is here for their first mm-hmm. week and I don't tell them what the dress code is. So my, my new hire is starting on the 11th, might show up in a suit. So I need to email him and tell him not to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because a lot of the folks who are listening to this run their businesses out of their homes or out of a week workspace, but they're involved in fashion or beauty or lifestyle content, whatever it might be. So they might have a particular aesthetic. And if you're meeting with a client or whatever, you don't want to be kind of out of place or sticking out. You want to make sure that you're fitting the aesthetic because it's the brand, especially if you're you know, one of the team members. If you're building a website and you're never going to be in the office, that's completely different. But little things like that go a long way because it's all about comfort. If you're comfortable and you feel like you know what you're supposed to do, I think you're going to do a better job. You're going to put forth better work. So it goes a long way, these little details. Like I said before, explicit versus implicit. If you expect people to wear, not a uniform, but have a certain aesthetic when you're meeting with clients, like I would just write that down and and hand that to somebody on their first day and say, hey, you know, we've got three client meetings this week. Like here's, here's kind of how I think about the dress code and approach there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that is a phenomenal way to do it. Explicit versus implicit. Don't assume that anybody knows because everything's different. And if you're running a small business, you have the your way of doing things that's going to be slightly different from everybody else's. So the ultimate goal in the hiring process is to find the right person, slide them into the position, have them perform beautifully, and work together forever, right? But the reality of this is that it rarely happens. Your first hire, you know, will often never work out. Um, so how do you fine-tune your process? How do you improve the onboarding process to make sure that it gets better and better and, and you do a better job as the person bringing on folks? So if someone doesn't work out, I would say sit down with them, have an exit interview, ask them questions about just not what went wrong, but say, hey, you know, a year ago, we were doing an in-person interview to have you join the company. What do you think happened? Like, why did you join? And where do you think things went wrong or started to go south? I think those conversations are really helpful because, you know, I've had people say to me, the job that you hired me for wasn't the job I started to do. It's like, oh, interesting. Tell me more about that. And that, that I think is sometimes a very real thing because your business will change over a certain period of time. And it's just helpful. I think if you go and you start to think about replacing the person who just left to just have an understanding from them about like how their role changed. Cause then you can like revamp what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so make sure to exit interview folks who are leaving. Yeah. Um, and that helps you fine tune your recruiting process or I guess I can't guarantee that it should help fine tune yeah. the hiring process. Sure. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think getting feedback from folks after they've been at the business for 90 days on your onboarding is helpful. That's that's a great point. That is a great point. Getting feedback from folks who do work out, I think, is incredibly important. We often look at the mistakes and say, oh, we can learn the most from our mistakes. And that's true to an extent. But what about for the folks that did work out? What worked well for them? Why did they feel comfortable? Why were they able to hit the ground running? That's that's incredibly important. Yeah, and I think it's it's a good health check for you too, just to say, you know, on someone's 90th day, and I say 90 days because I think it takes that long for people to ramp up in a business, take them out to lunch and just say, you know, what are what are some things that you do differently? 
and it kind of forces you to be accountable and, and just check in with your individual that you hired. And it's also, I think, just a good cadence on that person's timeline to just sit, sit down and have that feedback conversation with them. Yeah, having that feedback conversation should be done regardless, and it can help you improve your process, especially if you have other offers that you want to extend to people, if you have other positions you're going to be interviewing for. I think that's a great point. So, Caitlin, if you had to leave our listeners with two pieces of advice for the onboarding process, real practical advice that they could actually go out and implement tomorrow and then see an, an immediate improvement, what would those two pieces of advice be? Uh, I always ask people to give me three pieces of advice. So, <laughs> Hey, it can be three. If you got three for us, we'll take three. Um, it's a great question. So I think start by whiteboarding out just an onboarding checklist. I think writing out each step of the process and taking that off a whiteboard and putting it into an Excel sheet or maybe use Clubhouse because we use Clubhouse to manage our onboarding process. Um, Some sort of just project. Quick plug for her company, Clubhouse. What's the URL so our our listeners know? It's clubhouse.io. Clubhouse.io for all of your onboarding and work management software needs. Yes. It's a great, great, great little piece of software. Um, yeah, but we, we have everything in, in a checklist in clubhouse. Um, and when someone joins, like I can just quickly pull that up and I don't have to remember everything off the top of my head. Um, I can just put someone's name in there and start running them through this, this thing that I wrote out. Super right. helpful. And then, you know, as you learn and get feedback on your onboarding process, you can just tune that checklist and keep going sure. back to the original one and just make updates to it. Yeah. We're, we're big fans of the checklist at Trove. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've ever read the book Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. I have. Um, oh it's my. great. Incredible, right? I mean, yeah. that that turned us on to checklists like you wouldn't believe. It's, if you haven't had a chance to read it, definitely check it out. It talks about the efficacy of checklists, particularly in the medical environment where these little things matter, you know, cleaning things and reducing infections. Anyway, slightly off topic, but huge fan of checklists. I would not recommend reading that book if you're afraid of flying, though, because it does talk about checklists in airplanes. (laughs) That's true. That is true. It's, uh, yeah, it doesn't pull any punches. That is for sure. Yes, that's my first piece of advice is just create that checklist. I think second piece of advice is make sure to throw some human touches into your onboarding. I think especially if you're super busy, as we all are, it's easy just to be very transactional in onboarding. And here's your email. Here's a list of things I want you to get done this week. Uh, Here's all the people that you need to talk to. These are all the systems you need to set up. And at the end of the day, your new hire is like, oh, I've had no human interaction outside of like just getting stuff done. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Wait, does anybody work here or is it all robots? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think... It's it's just it's easy for us when we're all just running you know 100 miles per hour to to forget that. But right. I think keep yourself accountable and just make sure you know you check in with your person at the end of the day and yeah. schedule a lunch with them. And, and I one thing I like to do is take folks on my team in their first week out to like a fancy lunch and or maybe mm. give them a glass of wine and just like kind of connect with them on a personal level, not just talk yeah. about work. Um, sure. which no one hates that. So yeah. <laughs> at least no one's told me they hate it yet, but I think yeah. that's just an important reminder to keep yourself accountable for that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I like to do is schedule time at the end of each day and, and request that they ask questions, request, Hey, 
as you go through the day-to-day, come up with three or four questions that you have that you will ask me at the end of the day. This, I think this does two things. One, it allows you to have some time at the end of the day when maybe things are a little less hectic to sit down and chat, whether it's over a beer, some tea, whatever it is, and it becomes more relaxed, more human. And two, it implants in their mind that questions are good, questions are okay. Allowing them to figure out the answers by asking you is a way they can get to the solution faster instead of just always trying to grind it out themselves and feeling like you're not approachable. So that's two. Do you have another one for us? Because you said you might have three for us. Depending on how many people are in the business, just try to offload some of the onboarding process onto them. That kind of kills two birds with one stone, right? It saves you some time if you have other people helping you onboard somebody. Um, It also, I think, helps that new individual start to build relationships. Yeah, that's a great Um, point. So yeah, that's my, my third piece of advice. That's a, I, that is, I think, underrated in terms of, you know, you feel like, especially as an influencer, you've been doing everything yourself, right? You're creating all this content, you're working with brands, everything is on you. And so you oftentimes don't look to leverage some of the other folks in your business, but you're right. And, and one of the things that perhaps people don't think about is this allows those other people in the business to integrate with the new person, the new hire in a very natural way and start to build those relationships, which are are going to be incredibly important going forward in order for the team to work effectively together. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, we asked for two, we got three over delivering as usual, Caitlin. (laughs) Um, I was like, I think I can think of a third one. So there you go. Well, we appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Influencer Business. It's incredibly great to have you. And best of luck this year. Some big personal things on the horizon, Mount Kilimanjaro and a three hour and 15 minute marathon. We'll see. Fingers crossed. 2019 is going to be a big (laughs) year for you. I hope so. Um, Well, thank you, Rich. This has been a lot of fun and um, good questions. (laughs) Thank you. Well, no doubt that our listeners are going to get a ton out of this interview. So we appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much. So to quickly recap what we talked about with Caitlin. First, be explicit about everything. Don't just assume that your new hire knows what you want or what you expect. Tell them. Be explicit, not implicit. That was something that Caitlin harped on several times throughout the interview, and I think it's incredibly important. Two, define success. Define success from the outcome. You have to set milestones and tell your new hire about them so that you can look back at the 30, 60, 90 day mark and know if you've hit your goals or not. Otherwise, you won't know if this thing is working. You won't know if this hire is working out. And again, the key is being explicit and telling them what success is, letting them know it's not a secret. They should know exactly what it is. The third thing is create an onboarding checklist. You have a million things going on as an influencer, right? You've got partnerships you're working on. You're trying to create content on a daily basis. You're engaging with your audience. Make it easy on yourself when you're onboarding someone and have a checklist so you don't miss a step. And if you're not a big believer in checklists, we talked about this during the conversation, I strongly recommend that you go read The Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. It's a really short read. It's really incredible. And I I guarantee it will change your mind about checklists. Number four, make sure you hit on the basic stuff. Simple things like where to show up, what time to show up, 
what to wear. These little things will give your new hire confidence. And people perform best when they're confident. They're confident when they know that they're on track. So put them on the right track by cutting out anything that could possibly concern them or worry them. And remember, don't assume they know what to do. As Caitlin said, be explicit, not implicit. Number five, refine and improve. Listen, your onboarding process is a work in progress constantly. It is for everybody. This is not your first hire. It won't be your last hire. And if a new hire doesn't work out, do an exit interview. Figure out why it didn't work out. Ask them the tough questions and look at yourself in the mirror and say, why didn't this work or why did it work? If a new hire is working amazing, ask them what worked for them. Ask them what they liked about the process and what made them feel comfortable or confident. Constantly refine this process because you're never done hiring. Even if you're just hiring contractors, you can always get better. You can always get more efficient. And finally, inject some humanity into the process. Don't just be an automaton. Yes, we have a million things going on. You have a million things that you need to take care of on a daily basis, and you'd love to just get to the end of your inbox, the bottom of that inbox. But it's really, really important that they see and feel the human side of the business early on and not just the business side of things because this will make them feel more comfortable and allow them to integrate into your business much more efficiently and much more quickly. So we cover all of this and more on our website. So make sure you head over to trovebusiness.com to dig deeper into the onboarding process. We have a ton of great resources for you there. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Influencer Business, please leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. We would really appreciate it. And if you haven't yet already, hit that subscribe button because next week we have an incredible show for you. We're tackling the darker side of the hiring process, firing. It's a necessary evil. It's a topic that's really tough to cover in many ways because these are hard conversations, but they're necessary conversations. And if this topic wasn't already interesting enough, we have an incredible guest. She went from being a hostess at the age of 15 to being the vice president of a multi-billion dollar company at the age of 26, all without a college degree. And now she's the COO and president of Focus Brands, which owns Cinnabon, Auntie Anne's, uh, Moe's, Jamba Juice. She's one of the best operators in the world, period, and one of the most highly sought after motivational speakers. I'm, of course, talking about Kat Cole. We are so excited to have her on the podcast next week. It's going to be an incredible conversation, so make sure that you tune in. Another big shout out to Pete Crimmy and the crew at Sound Lounge. Pete always makes sure that we sound better over the podcast than we do in the studio. If you ever need anything in the audio realm, reach out to Pete at Sound Lounge, New York's number one audio post studio. Thanks again for joining me on this episode of Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Scudelari, and I will see you next time. Thank you.